Hey guys, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. This is our late night live. I am Mike, your host. Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about rights. Where do they come from? Why are they important? Um, And more importantly, I want to help you define what a right is. There's something to be said for what a right actually is. And a lot of times, I think we take it for granted. When you look at the conversations going on right now, There's a lot of talk about uh, my rights are being taken away, my liberties are being taken away. And then on the other side, oh, we don't have enough rights. Uh, We have a right to health care. We have a right to this. We have a right to that. Right. So there's there's two different arguments going on about rights. What I want to do is I want to put the knife down the middle of those and I want to help you define what's going on with rights, where they came from, how they built, how they're going. And. So to get started with that, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. I've got Alexander Hamilton who said, The sacred rights of mankind are not to be rummaged for among old parchments or musty records. They are written as with a sunbeam in the whole volume of human nature by the hand of the divinity itself, and it can never be erased or obscured by mortal power. We've got Thomas Jefferson who said, A free people claim their rights as derived from the laws of nature and not as the gift of their chief magistrate. And James Madison, who said, As a man is said to have a right to his property, he may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. No man is safe in his opinions, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. So what these guys are really talking about is your rights don't just come from another person because if another person can give you your rights, they can take them away. So there's something to be said for the fact that your rights don't come from somebody else, but they come from God. In that instance, no man has the ability, well, I should say the right to take away your rights. So before we get into the definitions of rights and and where we're at now and who they come from, I want to give you a little bit of history of how America got to the idea of rights. This is something that that really grew over English common law. Um, The Western civilization idea of rights was really where it blossomed, uh, where it became fruitful, where it grew. And I'm sure most of you know about the Magna Carta. So a little bit of history of that is... It was one of the most recognized documents that codified English law. So the Magna Carta was written in 1215, and it was between king and some rebel barons who really didn't like what the king was doing. So they came to an agreement and wrote the Magna Carta, which the Magna Carta really, it put in place an idea of rights. It put some restrictions on the king, and it put out some balances, so that way the barons had something to look at and compare to and weigh the king against. And it was something that they both could go back to and say, okay, well, it says this about you, and it says this about me, so this is where we need to come to an agreement. Now, this document, a lot of people will say that this document was important. It it held the test of time. In reality, it was weak. It failed. Uh, it, It didn't hold anybody to anything, really, and it just did not do what it was supposed to do. Now, then you, you've got to ask, okay, so why is the Magna Carta so important? The reason it's so important is because it set things up for people to build off of. It, it finally gave a, a single document 
that people could look to and weigh things against, kind of the birth of the constitutional republic, as it were. Um, this myth of the Magna Carta was what would inspire future English law, um, and it culminated in, the, in playing a role in the American Constitution. Mind you, the colonies, a lot of them were inspired by the Magna Carta when they wrote their charters. So it was something that everybody was paying attention to and had such a high regard, I think because it spelled out rights for people when they were compared to their government, right? Uh, so let's look at something that ended up happening in 1689. So we had the expansion of the Magna Carta, and it expanded into the English Bill of Rights, okay? So they had this building periodically of, of expanding the, the law system and the policies and the restrictions on government. Mind you, the parliament grew. So the parliament was a weight against the king, right? It kept helped keep the king in check. It gave the lords and the commoners a place to really start building law and building the structure of their government that they wanted. So this English Bill of Rights in 1689, uh, it... Its rights or liberties included um, the pretended power of suspending the laws and dispensing with laws by regal authority without consent of parliament is illegal. AKA, if you're going to suspend laws for no reason um, and you think you have the power to suspend laws without consent of the parliament, it's illegal. Does that sound similar to something we're going through right now? Um, it's something that, unfortunately, our legislatures have put in place, uh, I would argue, without really our consent. Uh, the English Bill of Rights also included the commission for ecclesiastical causes is illegal, a.k.a. you, you can't just levy taxes for, for church issues. Uh, levying taxes without grant of parliament is illegal. It's the right of the subjects to petition the king, and prosecutions for such petitioning are illegal. Uh, Keeping a standing army in time of peace, unless it be with consent of parliament, is against law. Okay, so you, you're noticing a pattern here. The pattern you're getting is that these sound very familiar. And what they're really doing is putting a limit on where government can, can expand itself, where, where it can control, what it can do, right? It's, it's a weight or it's a balance. So the act... Um, came after the glorious revolution in England. This is kind of a side idea, but revolution, right? And these laws, these liberties of the kingdom, uh, King James was trying to subvert this stuff. And they had some, some complaints about what he was doing. And tell me if these sound a little bit familiar. By assuming and exercising a power of dispensing with and suspending of laws and the execution of laws without consent of parliament. By prosecuting the seven bishops, by establishing of the court of commissioners for ecclesiastical causes, by levying taxes for the use of the crown by pretense of prerogative as if it were the same as granted by parliament. In other words, hey, um, this is kind of like parliament said it, but really I'm doing it. Reminds you of an ex executive order, right? By raising and keeping a standing army within this kingdom in time of peace without consent of parliament, by violating the freedom of election of members to serve in parliament, by employing unqualified persons on juries and trials, or juries and trials for high treason were not freeholders. Now, that doesn't really pertain to us so far. Um, 
so you see these complaints that are coming up, and I'm going to get a little bit more into complaints in terms of the Declaration of Independence. But this buildup of, of parliamentary powers expanded. Why are you going on about this? Why are you telling me the history of this? Because I think it's important that we really know what's going on with where we're at today, why it's so important. I think sometimes we see ourselves in a vacuum and we decide, ah, it's, it's, it's rights, okay? I've heard about it, American flag, bald eagles, fireworks. Yeah, I get it. America, land of the free, land of liberty and freedom. And all of us tend to take that for granted to some extent. But I think what you need to do is you need to actually go back and, and look at the buildup through the history, through the centuries of where we're at today and why these rights are so important because they got fought for through the centuries. And when you weigh it against other countries, other civilizations, this idea of rights is kind of unique. Now, I think every country supposes its citizens have certain rights and we're going to get into like what rights do we build on but i think it's important to notice this was western civilization that was doing this the magna carta and english common law the english bill of rights in 1689 this was what western civilization was doing it was an expansion of the rights of the people and a limiting of the government which i think culminated in the american government now, sadly, it can only stay high for so long before it starts to decay unless we defend our rights. And this is why Massey and I go on about this. You've got to defend your rights. You've got to stand up for the things that are important to you and the things that God has given you. So I'm going to move on to the Declaration of Independence. So remember these grievances against King James? The, the Declaration of Independence was written as a grievance against the king. We had our own grievances. Uh, I'm going to read the, the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. We all know it, but I want you to just listen to those words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. We have the right to alter our government in order to be able to ensure our rights. James Madison said, government is instituted to protect property of every sort. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit later. The, the whole idea of property is very important when it comes to rights. As well, that which lies in the various rights of individuals, as that which the term particularly expresses, this being the end of government, that alone is a just government, which impartially secures to every man whatever is his own. James Madison also said it is sufficiently obvious that persons and property are the two great subjects on which governments are to act, and that the rights of persons and the rights of property are the objects for the protection of which government was instituted. These rights cannot well be separated. Hey guys, how you doing? Brian? Yes, Massey got skinny, and he changed his name to Mike, and he got a little bit more 
white. That's okay though, right? <laughs> Uh, so the complaints of the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to read a couple that I highlighted. These were against the king. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasion on the rights of the people. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. For quartering, okay, holding uh, housing, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. Does this sound like somebody that you want to be under? Or does it sound like a tyrant? There's a difference. And... In order to protect your rights, you have the ability to defend yourself against a tyrant. So when we formed the Constitution, there was an argument about the Bill of Rights. Everybody's heard it, right? First Amendment protects freedom of speech, protects freedom of religion, protects uh, peaceable assembly, free press, right? This idea of protecting the rights was actually a little bit contentious, and I'll tell you why. There were two factions that really had an argument. One side said, if we put in a Bill of Rights, the government will decide they can control everything else. Right? It's, it's this limiting factor. If they're included in the Bill of Rights, these are the only rights the citizens have. The other side said, well, if we don't put a Bill of Rights, the government won't respect any rights of the people. So they finally decided to put in a Bill of Rights. Now, Alexander Hamilton did not want a Bill of Rights. I'll read what he said. I go further and affirm that Bills of Rights, in the sense and to the extent in which they are contended for, are not only unnecessary in the proposed Constitution, but would even be dangerous. They would contain various exceptions to powers not granted. And on this very account would afford a colorable pretext to claim more than were granted. For why declare that things shall not be done which there is no power to do? So we've got an idea of how rights were built. We had the Magna Carta. We had the English Bill of Rights. We had the complaints against the king. We had our own complaints against the king, right? We've, we've had rights that we're trying to defend. But the question is, who gave the rights? Was it just man deciding to come up with these rights? Or was it something else? Now, the, the, the Declaration of Independence says inalienable rights endowed by our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if we're going to say that these are endowed by our creator, there must be some proof of creator-given rights, biblical rights. I've got proof for you. Well, let me rephrase. I've got evidence for you. Uh, and I, I really struggled with this idea of w is there proof or is there evidence? Now, 
at some point, it's a movement of faith. However, I think there's plenty of evidence to point to having a creator give rights is vastly superior to the idea of man giving other men rights. And I think that's really borne itself out, hasn't it? Uh, when we decide we're going to do away with the creator and we're going to allow man to give other men rights, at some point, man decides to start limiting those. This idea of rights from a creator and what he views as rights of a people builds the framework of the foundation of America. This is so vital because our founders knew if they gave the rights, the, the creation of rights to men, that within a couple generations, all of them would be gone. When we look at the Bible at the beginning was really the, the perfect example of what God intended everything to be. And it's only in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And one thing that we notice that is sacred before anything else happens is that God gives Adam and Eve free will. And I believe this is sacred to the idea of rights. God has handed them free will, even with the idea of knowing what the consequences could be. He allows them that right to make the decision and does not at any time step into restricts their free will, but he does tell them what consequences, and that's something we've got to get across. Just because a consequence happens doesn't mean that free will has been subverted. It's kind of like giving your kid free will in terms of being in the kitchen. Now, I give you free will to be in the kitchen, but do not touch that stove, for if you touch that stove, you will burn your hand. Now the child has free will to decide whether or not to touch the stove. Likewise, Adam and Eve could decide whether or not to eat of the tree or the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. So this idea of free will within the garden gives them the freedom to make a decision, right? In doing so, and within this framework of perfect utopia, we see that free will was enshrined within God's creation of perfection on earth, aka a right it was inalienable. He gave it to them. This is your right. So we've got to build from that. So from there we go, okay, what other rights did God give? If it's free will, and we're going to argue that the American Constitution holds other rights, aka life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, where do those come from? Because God doesn't promise any of these things to us, right? You could get crushed by a tower tomorrow. You could lose your home and be thrown into camps. You could be restricted from moving from your home and doing anything and be forced to stay inside your home at all times. So are those rights because God has allowed those to be taken away? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because consequence does not dictate whether something is a right or not. And I want to show you the Ten Commandments. It might, you, you might wonder, okay, what's going on? Why are you using the Ten Commandments? How does this have anything to do with rights? I want you to look at what some of the Ten Commandments are really telling us not to do. So you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So murder, life, you have a right to life. No one has the right to take that away from you. Commit adultery. You have a right to your spouse and you being the only one for your spouse. 
for somebody to commit adultery means they are taking your spouse from you in a certain way. Stealing, obviously, your property. So we've covered life. We've covered property. We've covered the idea of liberty, right? So false testimony, lying. What do you take from somebody when you lie? You're taking the truth from them, which might take away their safety. It might take away their abilities. It might, it, it takes something from them when you lie. And this, this gets into a whole different idea of truth, right? And, and that's a whole different discussion. But in the Ten Commandments, I do believe that God is showing us the, the restrictions on us in order to preserve another person's rights. We've got to get this. And that goes into, so there's two different styles of rights. And I'm going to jump a little bit because I think now is the time for me to define this for you. Positive and negative. You ever heard that term? Positive, negative. So positive rights, this is a this is in the realm of Marxism and communism. What are they looking for? They're looking for stuff that can be given to them. They have a right to something given to them. Healthcare, um, you know, food, shelter, what have you. And really, at the positive rights point of view, anything that you might need should be given to you because you have a right to that item. Now, on the other side, negative rights, those are, thi- those are protections or preservations of your ability and freedom, your free will. So negative rights protect your free will. They preserve it. So this idea of negative rights, you don't have to coerce anybody. Nobody has to coerce you. So when you walk around with negative rights, you're walking around with the freedom to speak, the freedom of religion, the freedom to be oppressed and, and journal, be a journalist, right? You have a freedom to peaceable assembly. This is an idea of giving you liberty to have the ability or opportunity to do what you need to do in order to fulfill life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is this, is this starting to connect? We've got to think of rights in the idea of preservation because once we go into the positive rights realm, what you're really doing is you're going into the realm of I want, I deserve. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. So let's get back to the Bible for a second, and, and I'll flesh out this idea of property rights and, and life and liberty. So God puts forth a law to the Jews, and in this law, there's, it, it covers pretty much everything. But if you notice, these laws are consequences, they, they determine consequences for actions committed against a person's property, their life, or their liberty. It's covering that same idea. And let's go a little bit further. When the Jews asked for a king, what was the number one thing God told them this king would do? He said, this king will take your sons for his army and your daughters for his court. He'll take your best donkeys. He'll take the first fruits of your labor. He'll take a tenth of everything. He'll take your property, right? He's pointing out this king is going to restrict your rights. He's going to start taking, coercing from you the things that you own, 
the fruits of your labor. And if you notice, God always wants to protect the fruits of your labor. Now, do you make actions that have consequences that may result in the removing of your, of your labor? Yes. But what God's pointing out is the possibility of you have a right to your own property. No man should have a right to your property besides you. I want to, uh, and uh, I'm going to see if there's any questions. I'm going to see if there's anything else you guys have on this, but I've got a couple of thoughts in this. Let's look at Christ. So let's go to this idea of free will in terms of rights. Okay. God has given us rights. God is the one who has handed them down. And I, I think I've shown you that it's God who's the superior giver of rights because men have the ability to take them away from each other. So it's so important for us to look to God instead of another man, because then it's codified. It's foundational. We can look back to it and it's objective. And if you wonder, well, I, I don't know that that's really shown in the Bible. I want you to look at Christ. So there, Christ does something that is uniquely God and uniquely human, but it's perfection in what he does. Of his own free will, of Christ's own free will, he gave up everything for us. So the opposite of this would be to take everything from us for himself. So of his own free will, right, he, he, he was the epitome of the sacred gift that God gave us in the Garden of Eden. He used his free will, but he used his free will properly, and he actually protected our rights by doing so. And he actually did a lot more in sense of grace and giving us a gift that we could never earn on our own. The other side, so if you're looking at, at the human side of this, um, if man is going to rule over man, they wouldn't give an objective truth in terms of free will. Um, and they wouldn't be able to answer why a person's free will is more important than a person's physical state of well-being. Now, go with me on this. If it's just man versus man, or man helping man, we could argue... Well, each man has a right in order to continue and prolong his life. But this quickly gets into coercion because now you've lost your responsibility. And I, I'll get into responsibility for a second. And, and I know I'm, I'm jumping a little bit around because this is such a heavy idea that I don't think people toy around with. And what I would really suggest is go back through this and start to pick apart like the certain sections of it. But... A human-to-human a -human side of things, they're not going to have an objective truth as to why a person's free will is more important than a person's physical state of well-being. Your free will gives you the ability to take care of yourself. It gives you responsibility. If you don't have that objective truth, then all of a sudden the truth becomes taking care of yourself. When you can take care of yourself without without respecting the rights of another person, you quickly start changing their rights in order to be able to take what you need. Um, and this idea of responsibility. So as responsibility wanes, 
the accurate view of rights will become distorted. Don't we see that in today's culture? So as we give up our responsibilities, we decide our rights are more and more. So when the, when the nation was first founded, the rights were life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And the original draft said property. They did away with that in order to not codify slavery into law because it would be easy to argue a slave is property. But life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. There's responsibility in those. You have the freedom to fulfill your responsibility to take care of yourself. You, that can't be taken away from you. But as your responsibility falters and you start to not see the responsibility and you start to look to others to take care of you, you're going to start trying to change your rights because all of a sudden it's too risky and dangerous to have free will and have responsibility. It's much safer to require somebody else to take care of you. So all of a sudden now responsibility wanes and then all of a sudden take care of me. What I deserve rises. You go from negative rights into positive rights. So when you see this slide from the negative rights into the positive rights, you know you're getting into dangerous territory because all of a sudden now it becomes a war. Now it becomes you owe me, give it because I need it. I deserve it. Look at what's happening today. The rich have too much money. Give us your money. We deserve it. We need it. We're not rich enough. You're too rich. We need more food. Hey, landlords, we need housing, and I can't pay for it, so you better give it to me. I need health care. I need to be taken care of. So doctors, you better take care of me. Person, you better pay my medical bills. Now, I know it, it, it sounds extreme, but the idea is there of now all of a sudden it's requiring somebody else to take care of you and saying that's your right. This is why we have to draw that line. Keep in the negative rights realm because responsibility needs to be retained. Responsibility and value and virtue and morality, right? This is why it's virtue and morality are indispensable pillars for our society. This is why the founders thought it was so important because without virtue and morality, without righteousness and uprightness, quickly you start to decay in terms of responsibility. You start to lose responsibility. You don't want it anymore. You don't see the courage and the strength and the free will in pursuing responsibility. So then you start to say, I deserve. Take care of me. Give me what I need. I can't do it on my own. Now, there's plenty of room for somebody to ask for help. But asking for help is a voluntary process. A person can choose to associate with you or not. It's when we say, know you better. You need to. I deserve what you have. Give me your car. I need to get to work. No, no, no. I deserve it because I have to work. It's my right to have your car. As we go down that path, what ends up happening is people start eating each other alive. And I know I talk a lot about the Soviet Union because I think it's, it's such a perversely fascinating, in, in the saddest sense, fascinating experiment of what humanity does when humanity no longer honors rights given by God, 
when humanity decides that the state is the authority over rights. What you end up seeing is everybody turning against each other because they're hoping they can protect their own butt so that they won't get thrown in the camps. They won't get sent to their death in Siberia. And then it's built on jealousy and bitterness. You have people looking at each other going, he's got too much. He, he must be stealing it. I want it. And somebody comes alongside and says, all you got to do is report him being against the state. He's a traitor. Just turn him in. Then you can have his stuff. Sounds like a pretty good idea. Why not? I deserve his stuff. This is why it's so important to honor and respect the rights that the American Constitution have, have given uh, word to, fleshed out. It's not that the Constitution gives us those rights. It's that it fleshes it out and puts it in writing of what God has already given us. Now, some may say, well, we need to, we need to shrink rights because they're dangerous. They're risky. We're hearing that a lot, especially in the gun control debate. We're hearing it now in terms of lockdown. Well, we need to restrict rights because somebody might get sick. I want to nail that to the wall for you. We cannot allow the risk of a right being used wrongly to do away with that right. Let me, let me uh, talk about this. So just as there's a risk in a lie being told within the right to free speech, we still have to protect the right to tell the truth because that's really what, the, what free speech is doing is trying to protect the truth. So if you were to come alongside and say, well, the Ten Commandments says don't lie, so therefore you shouldn't protect free speech because lying is not a right. Well, you're, that's true, but what's the opposite of lying? Telling the truth. Telling the truth is a right. You should be afforded the opportunity to tell the truth. So somebody might come along and say, but it's a risk that somebody will lie or somebody will give hate speech. So therefore, we need to limit freedom of speech to just what we determine truth to be. No, no, no. You accept the risk with the right. Let me use another example. The right to self-preservation to your own life is inevitably linked with the possibility of murder. And it's through the tool. It's through the gun. A person can take a tool and murder somebody, or a person can take a tool, the gun, and defend their life. It's the same thing with the freedom of speech. Speech, aka words, are a tool. They can be used to tell a lie, or they can be used to tell the truth. So you can't get rid of the right because somebody doesn't like the tool and it's misuse. Freedom to self-defense and self-preservation is a right because you must be able to preserve your life. You have to be afforded that opportunity. We can't get rid of guns because then we're getting rid of the tool. We're subverting the right to self-preservation. It's the same way with freedom of speech. As soon as they say hate speech, the next they're going to they're going to start lengthening that out to include most words. Already we're seeing it with with private sector industries such as technology, YouTube, Facebook, they're censoring what people are saying. Now you can argue it's private organization blah blah blah. Boy, they're pretty well connected to the government, aren't they? 
And it only takes a little while for the government to start, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, encouraging these private sector entities to restrict speech. You need to defend your rights because they're given to you by God. And if your rights are given to you by God, aren't they worth defending? Aren't they something that you should stand up for and something that you should not allow somebody to trample on? I'm going to tell you this. I think finally people are starting to wake up to, oh, my rights are actually something that I need to fight for. The founding fathers knew that. That's exactly why they wrote the Declaration of Independence. It's time for us to wake up and realize we need to fight for our rights. We can't just allow those rights to exist and hope for the best. We need to actively defend them and preserve them because they preserve us. Without rights, we are just tools for the people in authority. And it may sound harsh, it may sound extreme, but what I'm really saying is you have the ability to stand up for your rights. And whether it's voting out your city council or your county commission or your state legislature or your governor, notice I'm not even talking about federal right now. We need to get locally active. And it's great. I, w I was talking to, to somebody today about this. And what I love about this whole pandemic thing is the opportunity of people to finally get involved in their local politics. Because if you don't like what your county is doing, you can go to the county commission meetings and you can voice yourself. And if they won't listen to you, get them out. Put somebody up that will listen to you. If you don't know anybody, run. Go for it. The beauty of it is once you start the local stuff, once you start getting involved in the local stuff, it moves up the chain. And you can hold them accountable because you can stand there and look them face to face. I assure you, you are going to have a very hard time getting face to face with somebody like Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, let alone the president. But you can get face to face with your county commission. And once you change them, once your county respects your rights, you start looking at the state. You start looking at your governor. And thankfully, in Florida, um, DeSantis has been better than most. I mean, it's still stuff that I don't necessarily agree with. But he's doing, he's, he didn't go full in like some other governors did. And it's up to you to decide, did he do enough, did he not do enough? Uh, but I would say weigh it against rights. What are your rights? And did he protect and preserve your rights? Or did he encroach on them? and limit them. And now is the time to do it because everything is chaotic. Once this settles down and they see the precedent, it's going to be much harder for you to fight back to get those rights back. Now is your time. Do what you have to do. Contact them on contact your leaders on Facebook, go to the meetings, get petitions going, right? If you don't like something about what's going on, get a petition going. Start talking to local chapters of political groups if you need to. Start supporting stuff like self-evident podcasts. Start sharing us. Start getting the information out. The beauty of it is if, if people don't like that you shared it, just say, well, talk to them. That's fine. We'll talk to them. Um, you know, do you guys have any questions? Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got a question, please feel free to post it. Uh, if not, I'm probably going to end this out. Uh, but... I want you guys to know that we support you. 
we love you guys. We're so thankful that you guys are with us. Um, and your rights come from God. Nobody else gives them to you. People will try to take them away, and it's our job to defend them. And most of all, that starts honestly with God. And I, I just want to do a little, little moment of like why this, what really matters in life, and it's God that matters. And the reason is, no matter what happens to your rights, you can still have the Lord. You can still have peace and contentment through those times. It, you can get to a point where it's boasting of joy through the suffering. Um, and that's vital because no matter what happens in this life, you can have Christ. And the beauty of it is when you understand that everything could be taken away from you and you've got Christ still, you start to see things more accurately in the beauty of those things. And that's why we're so defensive about rights is because we understand the beautiful abundance that rights give us. Without them, life is, is tougher. There's more oppression. There's more suffering. It doesn't mean we can't have peace in those moments. But I don't want you guys to go through suffering. I was talking to Massey about this, and, and then I'll close it out. A lot of people say, oh, the church grows in suffering and oppression. In certain areas, it does. There's plenty of Christian countries in the Middle East that are no longer Christian. There's barely any Christians in those countries. And what makes it worse is, why would I wish torture and suffering and oppression upon other people in order for them to get to know Christ? Wouldn't I want them to know Christ through abundance, through peace, through blessing? And to go farther, people say, oh, well, peace and blessing, people get fat and lazy and they don't, they don't love God. Okay, that's true. You are absolutely right, but people lose sight of God and they lose their faith and they give up in moments of suffering and oppression and turmoil. So I would rather have somebody fat and happy and me have the opportunity to give them God than somebody locked away where suddenly I don't have any opportunity to give them God. And it, I think it's a very much more... Uh, godly way of seeing things if you want peace and blessing upon other people, right? God looked at his people and said, I want you to have peace and blessing, an abundant land, a land flowing of milk and honey. He didn't say, I want you to be in suffering and oppression. So why would we want for other people what God didn't want for people? We should want peace and blessing and abundance for other people. And that's why I'm so defensive for your rights. And I hope you are too. And I hope you can explain this to other people of why their rights are so important and why it's so important to not encroach on another person's rights. So with that said, I love you guys. I'm so thankful that I get the chance to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. This, this was fun. I hope you got some information out of it. I hope you learned something. Uh, please feel free to continue commenting. You know, Massey and I will catch up with you in the next couple of days if you do. Share this video, like it, post it, comment. You know the drill. So with that being said, you guys have a great night. Love you.